The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Is green hydrogen finally moving from myth to reality? Seyfi Gazemi, chairman and CEO of US Chemicals Group Air Products, takes us on a journey to explore what's next in the energy transition. This Breaking Views podcast is sponsored by Refinitiv, a London Stock Exchange Group business. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with business leaders, policymakers, and entrepreneurs around the world, brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views, the financial commentary service of Reuters. I am Lisa Yucca, a financial columnist based in Milan. For this episode, which is part of our annual prediction series, we will explore the opportunities and challenges of the energy transition, a key theme in our book, A Year in Transition. I'll be speaking to Seyfi Gazemi, CEO of $63 billion Air Products, which is looking to become the world's biggest producer of carbon-free green hydrogen in less than five years. To hedge its bet, Air Products is also heavily investing in blue hydrogen, a slightly less clean version of the gas. How will the strategy play out? Stay tuned. Good afternoon, Seyfi. Thank you for joining us. Let's kick off our chat. Seyfi, you run a $63 billion company, which is the biggest global producer of gray hydrogen, which uh, is, is a not, let's say, so clean product. So at least, you know, not considered so clean. But you also made a massive bet on green hydrogen, which is made from renewable sources and seen as the holy grail of, of clean energy and, and, you know, by some as the solution to decarbonizing large chunks of our economies. Let me remind our audience today that Air Products is a co-investor in the massive $5 billion project in Neon, Saudi Arabia, which is building the biggest carbon-free hydrogen site in the world. And Air Products has also earmarked $2 billion of investment, $2 billion in, in the downstream process linked to this project. So, I mean, is hydrogen, in particular green hydrogen, finally moving from hype to reality? Uh, first of all, Lisa, it's a pleasure to be on your program. With respect to hydrogen, if I may just take a second, the way we see the energy transition, everybody wants to be carbon-free by 2050, 2060, 2075, whenever it is, at that time, then the question is, well, how are we going to meet our energy requirements if we don't want to be using hydrocarbon? Then our only choices would be either sun, wind, hydro, or nuclear. But all of these sources of energy, they produce electricity. So we will be able to produce massive amounts of electricity utilizing these sources of energy. And then we can use that electricity directly to drive some of our energy needs. Yes, electricity can be used directly to drive light transport, like cars. 
Electricity can be used to heating, air conditioning, cooking, or light industry. Fine. But then there are certain sectors of the economy that cannot be powered by electricity. You cannot electrify heavy transport, heavy trucks, heavy trains, ships, planes, chemicals, steel making. So those industries that cannot be electrified, the only other alternative is hydrogen, which will be produced by using the electricity that we have to break down water to produce hydrogen. So that is kind of the, the distant future, right? Yeah. So if that is the case, then the issue is how do we transition to that? We believe that right now, obviously, as you said, air products is the largest producer of gray hydrogen. We make gray hydrogen using hydrocarbons. And that will continue for a long time until we get to 2050, 2060. But then the next stage is going to be what we call blue hydrogen. That is, you will still use hydrocarbons. You produce the hydrogen through cracking the natural gas, but then you capture the CO2. And that is what we call blue hydrogen. And then the next stage, obviously, would be transition to green hydrogen, where we use the electricity to break down water and to produce green hydrogen. So at air products, since we are the largest producer of hydrogen and we want to be the leader in the energy transition, we have decided not to wait to go step by step. We want to demonstrate to the world now that we can make gray hydrogen, we can make blue hydrogen, and we can make green hydrogen because you have to start and prove these technologies. So the we have announced a, a massive project, four and a half billion dollars in Louisiana, which will produce blue hydrogen. We will still use natural gas, but we will capture the CO2 and sequester it. That project is going to come on the stream in 2026. And we have a massive uh, pipeline system that can distribute that uh, hydrogen and also change it, some of it to ammonia for export. But then we decided that now is the time to demonstrate green hydrogen. And that is why we decided to do that at very large scale to prove the viability. And that is the project in Saudi Arabia, the NEOM project. On that one, I just want to make one point clear. We are a partner in the production of hydrogen. But once that hydrogen is produced, Air products is the sole off-taker of that great green hydrogen for distribution in the world. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. You, you've given us, you know, a full overview here, Safi. So thank you. Let's try and unpack some of the information you've given us, you know, and, and go a little bit into the details. Um, so uh, obviously you mentioned green and blue hydrogen. I mean, the, the two bets, if you want, that you were making. Um, but on, on green hydrogen, I mean, can you give us a sense, uh, can you give us an update, for instance, of 
you know, where we are with the NEON project. You announced that uh, project in the middle of 2020. So where are we? How much you've invested? And when is this going to lead to, um, you know, green hydrogen actually being commercialized, you know, being a reality that people can, can actually buy and use? Sure. Uh, the NEON project is moving forward. We have uh, close to about 800 people doing the engineering of the project. We obviously have identified the place, uh, the, the land, and the land preparation is underway. We recently finalized and awarded the contract for the electrolyzers to Tosun Group. We have finalized and awarded the contract for the, all of the hydrogen compression equipment and the other uh, equipment are being designed and ordered. We expect that project to have commercially available hydrogen for consumption around the world by 2026. And in the meantime, Air Products is uh, heavily engaged in building the infra infrastructure that is required to take the green hydrogen in the form of green ammonia from NEOM and then bring it to Europe, the United States, to uh, Asia and all of the different parts of the world where the end users will be. So that project is underway and the time frame is around 2026. Okay, so 2026 is actually quite close. I mean, it's just about, well, it's less than five years. It's almost around the corner, uh, you know, for such a, a big uh, technology shift, if you want. Are you, uh, are you seeing demand already? And, and you've mentioned the sectors that could be interested in using uh, green hydrogen, like heavy trucks, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, steel making companies that need to uh, have a lot of energy for their for their um, operations. Um, but do you also see certain geographies being at the forefront of adopting green hydrogen? Uh, I mean, Saudi Arabia is very close to Europe, which we know is very committed to the energy transition. So, are, are you seeing demand and? And where, which geography do you think, you know, will be first adopters of, of green hydrogen when it's ready? Lisa, that is an excellent question. Let me put this thing in proper uh, perspective. And NEOM is a massive project and it will produce 650 tons a day of hydrogen, which is a lot of hydrogen. But if you take into consideration that a heavy truck, if it gets converted to fuel cell, that truck will use something like 50 to 60 kilograms per day of hydrogen. So the whole production from Neom, although it's a massive project and it sounds like a lot of hydrogen, you only need about 15,000 trucks around the world to be converted to fuel cell to use all of the production of NEOM. That just shows you the massive opportunity that exists considering you know, the, the potential. So we need to find 15, 20,000 trucks around the world to be converted to fuel cell vehicles to supply from NEOM. Now, where is, and NEOM, we are very much focused, at least at this stage, on mobility, specifically heavy trucks. 
where we see the opportunity and it is very encouraging is that Europe is far ahead of the other parts of the world in terms of the vision and the programs that they are adopting to promote the use of fuel cell vehicles. So we are very encouraged with that. And uh, I, I have to say that the countries like England, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, even France, Italy, the, the whole European Union is very focused on this. You mentioned you're going to have uh, on your program some of the guests from the European Commission. I, I'm sure they will express their enthusiasm about this. And we are very happy with that. Then in other parts of the world, like in the United States, a state of California is obviously have adopted rules which are very friendly to, toward the conversion. <laughs> and then Korea is very interested. And Japan is obviously interested in blue ammonia, not so much green right now. So we see significant interest and demand for the product, although it is, as you said, only four years away. I mean, obviously, I, I've heard your enthusiasm. Uh, we know this is an important uh, uh, element to, to, you know, to help with the global green transition. Um, but one of the problems, as you, as you know full well, of green hydrogen is that it's costly. I saw some estimates in the summer, um, you know, I mean, from the US Department of Energy, I believe, which kind of suggested it costs $5 a kilogram to produce green hydrogen. And this is, you know, maybe four or five times more than how much it costs to produce gray hydrogen. So, the, 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 you know, the issue seems to be it's a very costly, it's very costly, basically, to make green hydrogen. So, when do you realistically see green hydrogen becoming competitive with fossil fuels or renewables, or, or maybe even blue hydrogen, which is a bit cheaper? Well, the thing is that, uh, you know, the way we look at that thing is that, uh, why is it that the world wants to go toward energy transition? Because we are saying that if we don't do that, the end will come, climate change will come, and we all disappear. So what is the cost of that? I mean, when you are comparing green energy to fossil fuels, number one, fossil fuels are being subsidized. In total, the world governments around the world subsidize fossil fuels by the tune of more than $500 billion a year. That is a lot of money. If you take that subsidies away, the cost of fossil fuels are a lot higher. The second thing is, what is the premium of the damage that the fossil fuels do to our health and to the environment? What is the price for that? So it's a question of comparing apples to apples or not. But if the board expects that, look, I don't want to pay anything more for green energy, but I want green energy, then it is kind of uh, a little bit the joke that they have that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die first. I mean, how does it how does it work? I mean, we if we want to if if, if the board is so urgent, the climate change is so urgent, 
that we need to get away uh, from fossil fuels. And that is why all of the governments making all of these promises of zero carbon by 2050, then in that case, there is a cost, take away all of the subsidies for uh, uh, hydrocarbons, put a carbon tax, and then it becomes very economical. So, uh, and, but we are trying to demonstrate in a massive scale, at least one project to say that first of all, the difference is not that huge. And secondly, there are people who are responsible who say, look, I, I want to save the world, therefore I'm willing to pay for it. But are you suggesting that, you know, the government should remove those subsidies, but maybe shift them to, to support hydrogen uh, or, or remove them altogether? Because again, you know, we have seen with renewables, for instance, that the way to incentivize those initially was to basically subsidize the market. So should there be a well, shift? But the stop where we need where we need encouragement is not for the government to, to go give money to air products to make uh, hydrogen. We don't need that. We are a commercial organization. What we need is the market. So what we need is for the government to encourage people to convert their trucks or uh, their steel plants or their chemical plants. To green energy, that is the that is where you need the, which is exactly what the governments did with electric cars. I mean, the reason that you have Tesla is because there was a time when the when the governments were subsidizing. Uh, if you were buying an electric car, they would give you ten thousand dollar incentive. So that is where we need the government help to encourage the conversion. But one other thing that is important here is that a truck company is not going to convert their trucks to fuel cell unless they know that somebody is making the green hydrogen. So it's a question of the chicken and egg, which one comes first? So somebody has to take the initiative to make the product so that then the user, the end user, would say, look, I have the hydrogen, therefore I can I, I, I understand that. So I, I'd like to, to give the floor in a couple of minutes to, to George Hay to see if there are questions from our viewers. But before we do that, maybe I, I want to spend um, you know, a few more minutes talking about blue hydrogen, which is the other uh, big bet you're making, the big investments. You mentioned the projects in Louisiana and Alberta, uh, which are impressive. Um, there are people who are criticizing blue hydrogen because they consider that not so clean. Uh, I mean, how do you see blue hydrogen? Is that a competing technology to green hydrogen or does it fulfill a different role? It fulfills a different role because it's obviously blue hydrogen is not as clean as green hydrogen. But the question is exactly what you were asking me before in terms of cost, that are some countries might decide that, well, I don't want to go for the diamond. I, set, I settle for something less than that. For example, that is the direction that Japan is going. And Japan is saying that, look, you can use hydrocarbons, 
the most important element that is damaging the environment is the CO2. So capture the CO2 and then I can live with that. And, and that is why we think actually that blue hydrogen in terms of quantity is going to be used significantly because that can be used for making a steel. It can be used for making chemicals, having the CO2 removed, which is the most important as you know better than I do in terms of uh, global warming. So I think it's just, uh, as I always say, somebody walking to the jewelry store, you have the silver, which is gray hydrogen, you have the gold, which is blue hydrogen, and then you have the diamond, which is green hydrogen. And different people choose different ones depending on their budget and what they want to spend. Maybe a final uh, question be before going to the audience. Uh, right now, uh, today, let's say gray hydrogen represents uh, around 22% of your global revenue. But if we, if we look forward, I mean, into the future, five years from now, I mean, maybe even further, how do you see the mix changing? Because you will also have blue hydrogen and, and green hydrogen. So how how do you see the mix changing or the contribution, let's say, from this new type of hydrogen to your global revenue? I think the, the gray hydrogen in terms of the amount that we produce and so on is not going to grow significantly because anything else that we produce will be with carbon capture. So I can see that blue hydrogen will be a significant addition and then obviously green hydrogen. So depending on the timeline, I mean, if by 2035, we will be selling mainly blue and green hydrogen and by 2050, maybe all green hydrogen. Excellent. Okay, so um, so George Hay, um, you've been monitoring questions from the audience and wondering whether you could share with us some of the most interesting ones that we may ask Safi. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, Lisa. Um, hi, Sophie. Um, so I suppose the first one is about one of these fairly, a really big story that's happening um, at the moment, which is soaring natural gas prices. The question is, how have those much higher natural gas prices affected your conventional hydrogen production businesses in the last few months? Well, obviously, natural gas prices, the place that they have gone significantly up is obviously in uh, Europe. We haven't seen yeah. that significant a hike. And obviously in Europe, it, 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 uh, the, the way our contracts are with our uh, main users of hydrogen, which is really on site, you know, we produce it and then they use it by a pipeline. Uh, over there, the cost of the raw material is what we call pass-through. That means the customer pays for that. So the, the, our customers are seeing that cost. We are not seeing that, that cost. But obviously what it does is that it is making the price of uh, gray hydrogen higher. It's making the price of gasoline higher. It, it, it's affecting everything. So to some extent it helps with the energy transition that the hydrocarbons are not that cheap. Yes, I mean, does, does that, I mean, how much does it help though? I mean, obviously, as you say, that means that it makes green hydrogen um, relatively less expensive. But um, do you think, do you, 
would 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 gas prices have to stay high for a long time for there to be a, a tangible impact? Well, on that point, if I make the comment in a different way, you know, everybody asks me, well, what is going to be the price of uh, green hydrogen or blue hydrogen? Uh, what are we going? We are going to be producing energy, right? It's like somebody saying, well, what is the price of oil? We all know the cost of production of oil in Saudi Arabia is three and a half dollars a barrel. Hmm. But I don't see the Saudis running around selling it for $10 and saying we have a good margin. They sell it sometimes for 30, sometimes for 80, and sometimes for $200 a barrel. So in 2026, if Air Products is the only company that is making green hydrogen, and by that time, a lot of people have converted for good reason and they need the green hydrogen, then the price is what the market price is going to be. There is, it's not, we, are, we don't make things cost plus here. <laughs> we are a, a commercial company which will sell the product based on what the supply demand is. Okay. Just like the gasoline that you and I go and buy, you know, sometimes we pay in the US $2, sometimes we pay $5 a gallon. Um, there's another question here um, uh, from one of our viewers uh, making the point that hydrogen is very expensive to transport around the world. So don't you think it would be more economical to have green hydrogen produced locally? Well, the local production of hydrogen is something that obviously if you have green electricity at a reasonable price locally, then you can do that. Uh, right now at our project in Neom, uh, I can disclose uh, that, that, you know, the cost of electricity for us to produce there uh, because of the nature of the place and the wind and the sun and so on, including the cost of capital is less than two cents. So if you have two cents power, you can make the stuff and transport it at the uh, regional. Now in, the, in Europe today, if the cost of power is 20 cents, I mean, 10 times that. So it becomes very difficult to justify that. At some point in time, are we going to see a two cent power in Europe or in America? If that is the case, then you produce the stuff locally. There is nothing wrong with that as long as you have a reasonable source of cost of power. And even when people talk about hydropower, which is another obviously green source, but hydropower around the world is difficult to find it or get it for anything less than five, six, seven, ten 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So it makes it very expensive. All right, interesting. Um, this is a, a quite a general question, but um might be quite instructive. What do you see as the limiting factors for more companies to invest in this technology in hydrogen or move faster in this space? Well, I think the limiting factor would be their perception of the reality of the situation. And that is that there are companies who sit back and tell us that we are making a mistake because they believe that the political winds will change and therefore, all of these governments who are committed to environment uh, action and all of that will be swept away with people who are uh, climate denier deniers. And we have had those kind of people in, 
even in the United States, who say that uh, climate change is not man-made. If you get those people in power, then obviously they will not be in favor of any kind of a uh, encouragement about use of green energy, and uh, then it will be, become a very difficult situation. So I think some people believe in that and as a result, uh, and some of the people who are in a position to actually make uh, the energy transition and make green hydrogen, some of them themselves don't believe in climate change. So that I think is the biggest impediment. And obviously right, okay. there is technology and know-how and all of that, but uh, I think on a bigger picture, it's the political environment. But I mean, uh, perhaps related to that, there's a kind of related question to do with um, uh, how the, the US can build back better uh, programmers, okay, the Biden's green transition strategy. There's been some bumps in the road recently. Um, has that, does that have any kind of practical implications for anything you're involved in? Or is, do you have any kind of general thoughts about um, thoughts about that process? Well, you just uh, used a very, very good example to make the point that I was uh, trying to not re uh, refer to directly because <laughs> of the sensitivity. And that is, well, you can see what is happening. I mean, here is this Build Back America legislation, which has a lot of good things for the environment, but people are stopping it. I mean, you can always read between the lines who is stopping it. But uh, I mean, it, it, uh, it, from any, if you believe in climate change, it would be a crime to get in the way. But people are getting in the way because of uh, what I was referring to. So that's a very good example of what you're talking about in the real world. Uh, do you worry that there's um, going to be fewer subsidies or tax breaks or kind of um, uh, supports mechanisms for uh, the development of the market in the US, which is obviously quite a big market for? you and everyone else? Well, we do not, as I said, we do, what we need is ha to have the, the political atmosphere to be positive toward change. Because if that right. is the case, then people will change, legislation will be there, support will be there, and the mood of the people will be there. That is what we need. Now, one thing that is in our favor is that fundamentally the younger generation is taking the position that look i'm 20 years old i'm going to live another 80 years and i, I don't i don't want the world to fall apart you older guys are not going to be there when the board is going to get warm so i think that force exists and i think in time that will prevail but it might be a delay in, in that it, it it's a this is one of the most fascinating things in the history of human race to see how we react to a, a global crisis that is truly global. I mean, you cannot just clean the air on top of Los Angeles. I mean, CO2 goes everywhere and the world gets warmer. So it, there needs to be a global solution. And obviously everybody knows what the solution is. The solution is a simple carbon tax, global tax. It will solve all of the problems. But it's going to be a long way before we get there. Yeah, just but maybe, 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 maybe the last question, um, given we're running uh, short of time. But um, electrolyzers are pretty uh, integral to the to the green hydrogen story. And um, one of the questions here is, what's your view regarding 
their cost evolution in the near future? Why do you think that's panning out? I think the electrolyzer costs will, over time, will go down as uh, companies like ThyssenKrupp and other people make more of them, just like any other, any, any, anything else. So once they get into mass production, the costs will go down. We do not believe that uh, we need to be in the electrolyzer business because we look at the electrolyzer as a piece of equipment, which is part of the overall plan, just like a compressor is part of an air, air separation unit. So we don't think it's strategic for us to own it or to be part of it. But overall, your question, the more you make something, the, the cost curve will come down. Just like, look at uh, batteries, lithium ion batteries, the cost $1,000 per kilowatt. Now it's getting to two $300 per kilowatt. So that will happen to electrolyze. Is there, is there any argument for getting kind of the states, governments, intervening in that process um, to, to kind of speed up that, that, that timeline? I know, I think, that I, I think uh, you see, it, those kind of things to just try to kind of uh, bring down the cost of electrolyzers. So what? The main thing is to have the fundamental atom, uh, uh, drivers to create consumers. This is why I have always advocated that the governments should help the truck drivers, the trucks, the people to convert to green hydrogen. Once you do that, then the private sector and the commercial drivers will solve the rest of the problem. Okay, well, thanks very much, Safi. I'm gonna hand you back to Lisa now. Yes, thank you. Um, obviously, this was a, a good round of questions. I, I have a, a final one before we end uh, our conversation. I'm just wondering whether there could be competing fuels or competing technologies that somehow uh, pose a, a risk to the hydrogen ambitions. I mean, th there are uh, obviously companies like Neste in Finland investing heavily in new uh, renewable biofuels, which are much, much cleaner than in the past and can be used to fuel, um, to propel airplanes or heavy trucks, you know, that you, you were just telling us um, before. So I'm just wondering whether um, that, for instance, is a potential threat, you know, this kind of clean biofuel technology is a potential threat to the, you know, hydrogen dream that, uh, that you and others have. No, we don't see that as a threat. We actually welcome that. We are involved in projects like that. We think that that is an excellent thing. We actually supply hydrogen to Neste for making that uh, product. And we think that that would be a great complementary to what we are trying to do. The issue with that, with that is that when you look at the requirements in the board, there is only so much raw material that uh, is available to make those kind of products. But uh, we have nothing to do, not know, uh, we are very supportive of renewable diesel. I think those projects are a very good addition to all of the other possibilities for uh, helping the energy transition. We are very supportive of that. Okay, on that note, I, I think I would like to thank you, Safi, for joining us today, for being part of the Reuters uh, 2022 Breaking Views 
prediction series. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, to discuss uh, hydrogen with you and to get insights about uh, the energy transition. Thank you also to George Hay for moderating questions to the audience and to everyone who's tuned in. See you at the next Reuters Breaking Views predictions event. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Taslik in London. Subscribe to The Exchange and our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews. Thank you.